Before we open the scriptures, reading them and expound them, I, I do want to share just a little bit about who I am and how I got to be where I am right now, which is right here. Um, my name is Dan Anderson, and I've been called by our presbytery to plant a church in the heart of Little Rock, sit the center of it, I guess, the Hillcrest Heights area. My wife and I live literally a quarter mile from Hall High School, so if you know where that area is, that's where we are. But how did we get to Little Rock? Truth be told, I spent 31 years in the state of Florida. I'm a Floridian, through and through. And when I was going through seminary, I was on the, the, a trajectory for church planting and really had anywhere. I could, I, where do you want to plant, Dan, was basically what I was told. And I decided I felt like God was calling me to plant a church in Tallahassee, Florida. And so in the fall of 2013, I did as much as I could to find a way to plant a church in Tallahassee, Florida. I met with sessions, I met with staffs, and there was one church in particular that was very interested in what, both my passion and then their passion, and, and we tried to line up to see if this is what God was wanting. And it was late fall, and I was really hopeful because obviously I wanted to do this, but late fall, I got an email from this church, and they said, we've decided to go with someone else. Now, as you can imagine, it was very devastating. I thought God was opening all these doors so that I could plant a church in the town that I wanted to plant a church in. I thought, this is perfect. And then perfection crumbled. <laughs> and it literally sent me spiraling. God, what do you want to do with my life? But uh, all this stuff. Well, I get that email, and 30 seconds after that time, the assistant pastor that, that worked with me said, well, you can have my job here. I was like, what? He said, yeah, I got fired today. I was like, whoa. And, and so I, what, what that did was I had disappointment, and then I had the reality that church isn't always easy and pretty, and uh, that people, good people who, who serve communi the community so well and, and help people see Jesus well actually can get let go. And so what am I doing in church? <laughs> what am I doing? I, yeah, I'm, I'm heartbroken because I'm not doing what God wants me to do. I'm heartbroken because my friend is getting let go. What do I do? And so I started from there. I did two things. I, one, I got, I got help from a counselor. <laughs> I needed help from a counselor. The second thing that I did is I started working with a network leader in our denomination to find out where God wanted me to plant a church. And so he connected me with leaders in Nashville, Tennessee. He connected me with leaders in Columbia, South Carolina, Atlanta, Georgia, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And in the process, oh, and then, of course, Central Arkansas. <laughs> How can I forget? And so um, the two places that really hit, the places that really felt like, okay, this could be a place for me, was Central Arkansas and Columbia, South Carolina. And so in March of 2014, my wife and I, um, by the way, there's a great deal on Allegiant Air to go to Orlando. It's like 25 bucks to go from Orlando. So we, f we got a $25 flight to get, go from Orlando to Little Rock to meet Chris Treat. If you don't know who Chris Treat is, Chris Treat is a church planner in our denomination in Saline County. And he brought me, on, uh, brought me to Arkansas, and he said, I want you to consider being the pastor of what was Covenant Hot Springs. Their pastor was leaving. And so I thought about this, and I met with the leaders there and decided, you know, this isn't for me. I'm not called to be a pastor of Hot Springs. But I had a friend. I didn't get a job, but I have a friend. 
and that is Chris Tree. And so I went to Columbia, South Carolina, the other place that hit. And in Columbia, great people, great church. But the problem was my wife wasn't on board with the place where we were going to be. At that time, it was the only job that I had because I knew that they were going to offer me the job to church plant there. It was the only place that I had, but my wife couldn't be on board. And as we are driving out of Columbia, South Carolina, we had plans to meet with some of our friends in Greenville, South Carolina. We literally talked for an hour and a half about whether or not to take this. Me desiring to take it, my wife saying, you know, I'll go. I'll go with you, but I just want you to know this is not something that I feel excited about. And so I felt like I was between a rock and a hard place. I had no job, but I didn't want to drag my wife along. And so we literally had this discussion from, from Columbia, South Carolina, up to Greenville. And we get to Greenville, and it's a beautiful city. If you haven't been there, it's one of the most beautiful downtown cities in America. There's, there's literally a giant waterfall, natural waterfall, in the middle of the city. And we're walking around this waterfall. And in the midst of walking around, I get a call from my friend in Saline County, Chris Treat. And he's a good old boy. He's, he's, if you haven't met him, he's, you, you'd like him. Trust me. He's like, hey, man, what's going on? <laughs> and I, I explained to him the difficulty that I was having right then and there. I didn't have a, I didn't have a, uh, had a job offer, but it was a job that I really didn't want to take my wife to because she wasn't excited about it. And in his good central Arkansas, just come work for me, man. Come on, let's go. And and honestly, my wife and I had said when we, when we left Arkansas in March, we said, you know, we didn't want the job. We didn't feel called to that job, but we, we could work for Chris. And so right then and there, I said, you know what? I don't, I don't feel the pressure to accept this job in South Carolina where I'd have to drag my wife and she resent me the entire time we were there. I can go and work with a friend and help him establish a church in Saline County. I think this sounds like a good option. And so that option is what brought us here. Um, for the first year, year and five months, my wife and I helped get Hope Church in Saline County off the ground. We provided, um, I provided some support for Chris, both preaching and administration. But this past summer, um, as has always been my desire to plant a church in Little Rock, um, the Presbytery called me to plant a church in Little Rock. And so we start, we actually received the call in October. And so in October, the second PCA church in the history of Little Rock has been started. And they've asked me to start the church. Now, you, you maybe you, you know who started the first church uh, in Little Rock. His name is Rick Canada. He's kind of a big shot. He's been, he's been the president of a seminary. So I just, want, I just want you to know this. I've got quite the trajectory, all right? If he's going, he's going to be the president of the seminary, what's that mean to me? But I'm glad to be here. That's what brings me here. My friendship with Mike through our uh, times in both the presbytery and committee meetings about church planning, that has brought me to this moment and this time that I get to bring God's word before you. I tell you that story because there's two things. I, I, I want you to commend what is... Central Presbyterian Church, to those you know that live in Little Rock, commend it to us. Secondly, I, I tell you that story because I want you to pray for us. We are in the beginning of what is a 16-month phase. We're five months into this 16-month phase. And at the end of this 16-month phase, we will launch weekly worship. But in the meantime, 
We're, we're meeting in my house. We're having Bible studies on Sunday nights. And, and later in February, we're going to be starting by, um, what I call a launch team, where we get together with, with the people who, who want to see this church established. And, and we really look at what it takes to plant a church, what it takes to start a church. And at the heart of that meeting is the gospel. And we're going to really flesh out the gospel. And it is that gospel that I look forward to sharing with you today. So don't stand, but if you have a Bible, we're going to look at Acts 3. What I say is the gospel, the very thing that I look forward to bringing to the city of Little Rock. Acts 3, 1-16. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man, lame from birth, was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob The God of our fathers glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when He had decided to release Him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And His name, by faith in His name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. Let me pray. Father, one thing that I ask to be done this morning is that your transforming grace would be clearly and eloquently presented to all of us. That it might bring change to our life. That it might bring great courage in the midst of of a society that often elicits fear. Father, I pray for my friends here at Trinity. I pray that they would receive it and walk in it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The most compelling book that I've read over the last year is a book called The Boys in the Boat. Have you heard of it? The Boys in the Boat is a, is a fascinating story about the 1936 U.S. Olympic rowing team. And one of the things you, you quickly learn in this, in this book is that you learn that this team won the Olympic gold medal in 1936. And you're like, okay, story's done, right? 
But that's just chapter one. And you're going, do I even have to read this book? They won. See, what I've learned in that book as I started to read it and continue reading it is that if you put the book down right then after you learned that they won the gold medal, you end up missing the entire story. You, you end up missing so much and so many good things about this boat that won the, the gold medal. As we look at Acts 3 today, here, here's, here's why I draw the parallels. We can look at Acts 3 in the scriptures that we just read, and we can look at that for, for what the results are. A lame man was healed. A lame man was healed and walked and jumped and praised God. And we say, wow, that's great. A man like Peter, who was a coward, courageously engages the temple leaders. Wow, amazing. But if we see Acts 3, if we see it just for the results, or, or, or the display of courage, or just the, the healing that takes place, just like the boys in the boat, we end up missing so much. So much in this story that actually can bring about transformation. So this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to push pause on the story of Acts 3. And I want to hit the rewind button. And in doing that, I want to look at the two stories and the two themes that we see in Acts 3. The first theme would be the theme of the lame man. And then the second theme, the theme of Peter. And we're going to hit the rewind button and go back to these stories and look at the things that we miss if we just look at the results. So first, the lame man's story. What is it about this lame man? The lame man asked to receive alms. He did this because he had no other way of supporting himself. He's lame, and he has been that way since he was born. He's never known a day where, where he's had the joy of having his feet hit the ground as he plays a delightful game with his friends. He's never known the delight of standing on his tippy toes to get the treat at the top of the counter. He is lame. He cannot walk. And because he can't walk, he can't work. And since he can't work, he has no way of supporting himself or even a family. Scripture tells us he's completely and utterly dependent upon others to get him to the gates of the temple to seek the pity of religious uh, worshipers, hoping that they, spurned by their religion, might give him alms. He asked to receive alms because he couldn't have a relationship with God. Jewish laws forbid him from entering the temple. All he could do was sit outside and ask for alms. Alms was his greatest hope. It was his God. It was his only hope for survival. It was his hope. It was the only thing, only tangible thing that he could lean into for any kind of life. He asked for alms. And you know what? Occasionally he received it. Because he wouldn't go back to those gates every day if he didn't. But he often received more than alms. Common belief in this day was that you are the way you are because you sinned or your parents sinned. In John chapter 9, Jesus' disciples look at a blind man. And they, look, they don't even look at the man, but they look at Jesus and they say, who, who sinned, this man or his parents? It's a common belief, even amongst the disciples. So we know that he asked for alms because he was often seen 
as a nobody, unworthy and undignified, often receiving the objectifying looks. He asked to receive alms until the scriptures say, Peter and John, look at him. And they directed their gaze upon this lame man. And John told him, look at this. John told him, look at us. It's almost as if you can feel he's he can't even look people in the eye because he's been looked down upon so much. Like he's a dog. He's a nobody. And it takes John saying, look at me. Look at me. Because he might not even see that he's worthy of being looked at. And John says, look at me. He asked to receive alms. And then Peter said, look at me. I have no silver or gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And, he, and walk he did. <laughs> we see that clearly. But it wasn't just walking that he did. He leapt. He leapt like a child. He leapt like the child he, childhood he never had. He leapt like he could actually run for the first time as if he was playing a game. He leapt. And notice where the first place he goes, he goes into the temple, the very place he was not allowed into. Praising God. Do you see, this man didn't receive alms, but he received so much more. He received not the objectifying looks of those who passed by him every day. He received the amazement of those people who objectified him. He's no longer unworthy. He's no longer forbidden to worship God. He is worthy. His lameness no longer defines him. And for the first time in his life, he probably feels worthy because of what Peter had given to him. Peter had made the impossible possible. One must think, why did this man ask for alms and not for health? Because he didn't think the impossible was possible. But when this man encountered Peter and John, he encountered the power of Jesus in his name, and he was walking. This man encountered life for the first time, not survival. Jesus says, I have come that my sheep may have life, abundant life. This man asked for alms, alms to survive, alms to get by in life. But Peter, through the power of Jesus' name, gives this man abundant life. You and I might not have anything in common with this lame man. As far as I can see it, each of us can walk. We know the delight of running as a kid. We know the delight of hitting a golf ball. We know the delight of walking. But we do have something in common with this man. The need to change. And what to do with that change. And like this man, we often ask for alms. Because alms is something that's obtainable. Something that's possible. Something that we can receive. And so, if we experience a lack of purpose in our lives, what we do is we ask for alms. And by that I mean we look for another job. We, we, we sense the need 
for change in our marriage. There's no intimacy. The love is dissipated. And so what we, where we go in our minds is we ask for alms, and by that I mean we dream of what life would be like with another person. In the church, we long for change. We long to see people coming into our church and, and God glorified, but we ask for alms. And what I mean by that is we put programs in place. And we say, oh, if the program's in place, people will know God. We ask for alms like this man did. With our children, we long to see them controlled, honoring God. And so here's what we do. We ask for alms. We put more rules, thinking the rules will control them. The rules will make them the way that I want them to be. We ask for alms because alms is something we can control, something that we can tangibly experience. But here's the thing about alms. Alms bring survival. Alms bring just enough to get by. But Jesus brings abundant life. Our marriages were not meant to be just get by, and maybe I can just get by by thinking about another marriage. Our marriages were meant to be life-giving and, and honoring. And the only place, the only place where we can find life-honoring courage is through the power of Jesus' name. That's it. We want our kids to, 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 to be perfect kids. We do, and that's the truth. I want my kids to be perfect. And so the way we, we, we seek to change our kids to fit into this perfect mold is we put these rules on them but rules aren't going to change them. The only thing that's going to change them is the transforming grace of Jesus. The, the, the impossible being made possible. One of the most profound stories in my life happened when grace came into my life. When that which was free was offered to me. I was a high schooler. And I was... I was uh, what most high school boys did when the internet came out. I went to a site seeking to find love, seeking to find the satisfaction of my heart um, through the images that I saw on the screen. And I willingly no went on there knowing that my mom, who was the disciplinarian in the family, might find it. And find it she did. One afternoon I was up in, the, up in my room hanging out with some friends. And I, and I knew my mom was in the computer room. And I heard her yell from downstairs, Dan, get down here. And since she was the disciplinarian, I was very fearful of what was about to happen because I knew she had discovered what I was looking at. And I went in there. And my mom, who was very strong, I, I, I want to be kind to her, sometimes over the top, my mom, who was very strong, was very gracious. And that surprised me. And she asked me very bluntly, did you, did you go on these sites? I said, yeah. And then she opened up her own heart. And she shared her own struggles. And she shared the story of her life that these type of images had played on hers. And we... We cried a little bit, and then she let me go back to my friends. No grounding, 
No restrictions. Nothing. I can assure you that to this day, that moment, that meeting with my mom and the receiving of that grace from her has kept me from the habitual looking at those images on the computer. Grace brings change. And change is what this man received freely from Peter. What is it Peter had? He didn't have silver. He didn't have gold. He had the grace of God. What is it that's going to change your life? It's the grace of God. Stop asking for alms. Seek the grace of God. You see, if, if you look at the story just for a man being healed, you miss so much. Do you see that? Let's continue looking at this story, but let's look at the story through Peter's lens. Because Peter, we see in this, has changed. Let's, let's look at this. Peter's story. Peter's story is often told in churches and for good reasons. He's one of Jesus' main disciples. Early on in Jesus' ministry, Jesus came upon Peter while he was fishing and said, Peter, follow me. Peter did. And Peter became one of Jesus' rising stars in his discipleship community. Peter came to great understanding of of, of the stories Jesus told. We know one instance, Matthew 16. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And it is Peter who rightly responds, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. The Savior of Israel. And Jesus says, you are right, Peter. And upon you, I will build my church. And the gates of hell cannot stand against it. Peter was the creme de la creme disciple he was the standard that which we all might want to look up to. He had access to the great tra- the transfiguration of Jesus when Jesus went on top of this mountain and God came down and Abraham and Moses were there. Peter got to see it. He had access. He was the man. Peter went out obeying Jesus, casting out demons in Jesus' name and healing people. Peter was Robin to Jesus being Batman. He was the great star. The great star of Jesus' disciples. I love the story um, about Peter's downfall. This is where we can relate. You know, every star loses its luster eventually. And it's this story where we see Peter's luster dissipate. One night, um, Jesus told his disciples, you will all fall away from me because I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. It's a, it, it's, it's, a, it's a prophecy, Jesus said. And hearing this, Peter looked at Jesus and he said this, though they all fall away, I will not. The great star, the brave one, the courageous one, the wise one, Peter, I will not fall away, Jesus. I will fight for you. But you know the story. That night, Jesus was arrested and brought to trial. And Peter was right there with him, too. We know that because Peter was outside the temple looking in, seeing what what was going on with his hero, with the person he'd, he'd been following, 
What's going on with him? And what does it say next? A servant girl, a sweet, most likely innocent servant girl said this, Hey, you're one of Jesus' disciples. And Peter said, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not one of the disciples. And he runs away from this girl. And then the scripture tells us again, another servant girl, another little girl comes up. I think you are. I think you're one of Jesus' disciples. I'm pretty sure of it. He goes, no, 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 I'm not. He gets away from her. And then eventually Jesus is, or Peter is out there and a, and a group of bystanders are like, no, no, you're one of Jesus' disciples. I know. Your accent betrays you. I know that. And the man who had great courage, the man who was brave, the man who was the rising star of Jesus' disciples said this. He started to invoke curses upon himself. We can't even say those words here. G- Peter is saying this to himself. And he says this, I swear to you, I do not know the man. The shine on this great star is now gone. Peter, since he followed Jesus, no doubt heard the words of Jesus that whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before the Father who is in heaven. And so in his mind, his lot was cast. He's no longer the star to be used by Jesus for the sake of his kingdom. He was denied before the Father. He was a coward. You know, there's something about courage. Courage. The basis for courage, and I want you to know this, the basis for any sort of courage, which is the opposite of cowardice, is security. Courage comes from security. Here's an illustration to prove that courage comes from security. Have you ever uh, done group exercises and, and taken, been taken out to the wilderness and, all right, we're going to do these things for team chemistry and these things. And, and we're going to put you on this table. We're going to stand you up on this table and we're going to put your friends at the base of this table and we're going to ask you to fall back. The trust fall. I'm sure we've all done it. It's cheesy. We all get it. But what is, what's it going to take for you to actually get up on the table and fall back into the arms of those waiting on you? The security, knowing that the people are going to catch you. So courage, courage comes from security. So looking at Peter, when he actually was was accused of being Jesus' followers and he denied it, what's going on there? What is happening? He has no security in who Jesus is. Jesus, in his mind, is heading to, to to the cross to die. He's got no security there. Because if Jesus is going to the cross, guess where I'm going after that? I'm going to the cross too. So I'm going to deny that. And I'm going to display my cowardice. And I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore. Why? Because he had no security in himself and in who Jesus was. Courage comes from security. But then in Acts 3, we see a courageous young Peter. This is a man, let me just, let's just read it because it's so good. This is Peter before the very people who crucified Christ. This is what he's, this is what he's saying. I'll read the whole thing starting in verse 12. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this being that the healing of this man? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? 
The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release, release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Stop right there. We just heard how a sweet little girl told Peter, you're, you're one of Jesus' followers. And then another little girl, you're one of Jesus' followers. And yet we see right here, Peter is telling the people he was most afraid of, you killed Jesus. He wasn't just telling them. Can you sense he was smearing their nose in the fact that they killed Jesus? I mean, he is rubbing it in their face. If, if, if you were one of those men there, you would be so infuriated that this man came in and, and said these things to you because you were pretty convinced that Jesus was trying to take away your power and those sorts of things. And here is one of his followers rubbing your nose in it. That is courageous. That is very courageous. So what changed? Peter's security. Peter's security changed. Because courage comes from security. And where does his security come from? It comes from Jesus. Jesus did end up on the cross, just as Peter feared. For three days he rose again. And Peter, it's, the Bible tells us, Peter is actually one of the first ones at the empty tomb when he found out Scripture says he was running to the, to the tomb. My guess, for fear that they had taken Jesus away. What are they going to do to me? But he's the first one to go in the tomb and to see all these things. And I think one of the reasons he was running and he was, he was anxious to get in is he had no security and, and, and no comfort there. He's going, where's Jesus? What's happening? And then there's another story. There's the story of Jesus or of Peter when he's fishing, it's at the end of John, John chapter 21, he's fishing. He has no purpose in life other than just to, just to fish because that's, that's what he knew before Jesus and that's what he's going to do. And on the boat, he sees Jesus, the resurrected Jesus sitting on the beach by a fire. And what does he do? He literally jumps out of the boat and swims to the shore. Why? Because he, no, he, he, he has nothing to stand on in front of Jesus. He's not the shining star. He's the coward. He's got nothing. So he's insecure. So he goes to Jesus and he says, okay, here I am. What, what, what do I do? And you know the story. What does Jesus say to him? Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, you know I love you. He says, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? And Peter goes, Jesus, yes, I love you. Tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you, what, of course I love you. Feed my sheep. And what's happening in that moment? I think, yes, forgiveness for his cowardice. Forgiveness for denying. But look what I think it else it is. It's giving Peter a purpose again. That no matter, no matter what you do, you can still be used by God. 
That his, his own cowardice was actually the very thing that compels him to act courageously. Because his security is no longer based on his own actions and his own star. It's based on the star of Jesus being resurrected and, and given to Peter. The grace of God given to Peter. What is Peter's security? His security is the grace of God in his life that no matter what he does, that God will still love him. These words were not written at the time. Paul would write them a few decades later, but I have no doubt that if Peter were to read these words, he'd say, yes and amen. That's exactly why I can be courageous. And it comes from Romans 8. It comes from Romans 8. You know this, you know this so good. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And to that Paul says, nothing. Peter understood right then and there when, when Jesus was offering him forgiveness and purpose that there is nothing that can separate him from the love of Jesus. Security. Security. You would think that if courage is based off of our security, that Christians would be some of the most courageous people you interact with. And indeed, some Christians are extremely courageous. But that's because they know their security. But oftentimes, my own experience in my own life, I've been a coward. And my guess is you have too. But here's the thing. If courage comes from security, that means the most important thing is our security. And if our security is based off of what we do, what we know, the bravery we, we dis demonstrate in our communities, in our church, if it's based off of you, then you will have no security. And if you have no security, you will have no courage. So people of Trinity, my hope for you is that you would get up on top of that table and that you would fall. Not into your acts of, of bravery, your wisdom and understanding and your way of doing church, but that you would fall and be courageous because of the One who can catch you. The One who does catch you. Jesus Christ. I want you to know that. It's my prayer it has been my prayer that in looking back at these two stories, that you would look at them not for the results, not seeing them for just a man who was healed and could walk, not seeing it for a man who was just courageous, who once wasn't, but you would see the real story, the story that actually matters, the story of God's transforming grace. For when we see that, we can experience Abundant life. The life God has given us. And only through that grace can we experience abundant life. And 
you would begin to demonstrate the courage which you should have in your communities, with your neighbors, in your jobs, and in your homes. I just close with, with Peter's words. Do you want these things? Do you long for these things? It can be yours. By faith in Jesus' name, He has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. This is all we have to offer. Faith in Jesus' name. Let me pray. Jesus, we are, we are not deserving of the love with which you give to us. We are not deserving of, of the change which you have begun to work in us, the change that you are working in us, and the change that you will do in us. We are completely and utterly undeserving of these things. Father, forgive me for asking for alms, for only asking for that which is possible, for only asking for that which brings survival. Lord, bring about change in my life that I might experience life, abundant life. I pray that for my friends here too. May this church be a place of abundant life, not because of the things that they do, but because of the Savior and His grace, which is given to them freely. May we know this this Lord's day. Amen.